Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. We have a lot to share today. We're going to start with a short segment on health and healing, but more importantly, we're going to spend the rest of the hour with Dr. Reiner Fulnich. We're going to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and the legal questions against its orchestrators. Who's behind it? Now, who is my guest? Speaking to me from Germany via Zoom, he is a German-American attorney and the founding chairperson of the Investigative Corona Committee. They are proceeding with class-action lawsuits all over the world against the architects of the coronavirus pandemic. In the past, he was on the faculty of the George August University in Göttingen, where he received his doctorate. He worked in the legal aspects of corporate banking at Deutsche Bank in Germany and Japan. He also has a background in medical law and in the 1980s was a research assistant at the Research Center for Medical and Pharmaceutical Issues uh, and Law. For many years, he has been practicing and has published many papers on patient rights and civil responsibility in the pharmaceutical industry. He is our guest. I'm going to make our talk on health and nutrition a little short because I'm going to give him a lot of time. Zinc, according to the University of St. Andrews, which is in Scotland, can be a very important new piece of the puzzle if you have diabetes. In fact, researchers at the university say a greater understanding of how zinc is handled in our body could lead to improved treatments for people with diabetes. This is important because they found that diabetes, as we all know, is a major risk factor for heart and circulatory diseases. Around 300,000 adults have been diagnosed with diabetes in Scotland alone, and we have over 100 million in the United States who are pre-diabetic or diabetic. So it kills, and it's serious, and it damages the blood vessels. People with diabetes are up to 300% more likely to develop conditions like stroke, vascular dementia, and heart attacks. Now, zinc is an essential nutrient that serves many functions in the body, and one of its functions is to help the blood clot after injury. However, in some people with underlying health conditions, like those with type 2 diabetes or obesity, clotting can occur more often when it's not required, causing damage to blood vessels and leading to serious health conditions like stroke or thrombosis. They published an article in the peer-reviewed journal Chemical Science and found that the transportation of zinc in the blood is compromised in those with type 2 diabetes due to the increased level of fatty acids. These fatty acids prevent zinc being carried to the normal way, allowing zinc to interact with clot-activating proteins and potentially triggering dangerous blood clots. So very important that if you have diabetes, make sure you're getting your zinc. I would suggest 20 milligrams or 10 milligrams twice a day. From McGill University, which is in Montreal, published in uh, OncoTarget, the period journal, SAMI, which is S-adenosylmethionine, has promise against breast cancer. That's very important. So that's a study that we should know, and that's another piece of the puzzle. Also, from Turan University of Medical Sciences, the antidepressant effects of lavender, and they did a systematic review and a meta-analysis of randomized controlled clinical trials. Now, we know that lavender, let's say two to three drops put on your pillow at night, relaxes the body, and because the pheromones are the, the oils that are released, you're smelling them, and they go right into the brain. And it helps people with severe depression, helps people can't get to sleep. So they wanted to see what is the basis of this. They looked at 342 separate studies, and they found that there definitely was a conclusion that lavender had significant antidepressant effects. So that's important. Also from Sabrizivar University of Medical Sciences, fish Cruciferous vegetables, olives, are all associated with longer telomeres in preschool children, which means that if you're eating what would be considered a, not a vegan diet, but 
but a Mediterranean diet, which is extremely healthy, that your telomeres, which change rather rapidly, and you don't want that, because the more they, they change, the shorter your life becomes. And so therefore, by having that kind of diet, you lengthen the telomeres, especially when you're younger, which means you're going to live longer if you follow the same diet, which is one of the reasons people in the Mediterranean are living much longer and are much healthier than people living in the United States. From the University College Dublin, which is in Ireland, an article published in the British Medical uh, Journal, uh, Complementary Medicine, showed that eating a low-quality diet, you know what I mean, foods high in, in salt and sugar, refined carbohydrate, is associated with chronic inflammation during pregnancy, and that increases the risk of obesity and excess body fat in children. So, people unfortunately thought that, well, it really doesn't matter what the mother eats. You know, yes, it does. Definitely does. This is the epigenetics we're seeing. It also means that if you go through pregnancy, an intended pregnancy, and you're happy, you're looking for joyful moments all day, um, that energy you're bringing in will harmonize with your baby that is developing the fetus. And that will mean it has a greater opportunity to live a normal life. So just another study showing that, yeah, it makes a difference. Also from Vanderbilt University, they published an article in Cancer Medicine documenting an increase in the risk of lung cancer if you're low in your income and you're living as an average person would and you're not taking your coenzyme Q10. Well, in many cases, the two go hand in hand. People living on low incomes frequently are vulnerable to junk foods and making junk foods inexpensive. If a person has to buy organic and there's no organic near them, and frequently in, in poor areas there is no organic at all, unless they grow it themselves, well then you're not going to be eating the best food. You're going to get a whole big hamburger with bacon and cheese and refined carbohydrates for a couple bucks. So you end up with diabetes, heart disease, cancers, and nobody takes responsibility. But more importantly, you're also decreased in coenzyme Q10. So if you get better educated and you have availability to purchase a supplement like coenzyme Q10, that reduces your risk of lung cancer. That's important. So what should be doing? What's the solution? It's simple. Instead of having one more worthless uh, fighter jet for you know $500 million, why not put people's groceries in every poor neighborhood in America where they have organic produce, which you could grow there, by the way, that would give them an employment, and you have nutritionists who are holistically minded, and that way a person could get nutritional evaluations, get herbs, and by the way, America even just outdid China in natural botanicals. So we do have a lot of people who are knowledgeable about the power of nutraceuticals, and uh, such Dong Kwai, Fo Tai, Vitex, and uh, anyhow, we're number one in the world, which is good if using that. But you'd also make sure people got their calcium, magnesium, vitamin C, coenzyme Q10, things they need to stay healthy. So why don't we subsidize that and help people? Because that's something that would make a difference in people's lives. Putting up another jet doesn't do any of that. I'm going to cut it short now. I'll share more tomorrow because we're going to take a break because I don't, my guest is standing by. I want to give him a lot of time. He has some important things to say. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We're going to Germany now. We're standing by is Dr. Reiner Fullman. But we're going to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and the legal questions against its orchestrators. Nice to have you with us today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Would you please provide us an update on all the lawsuits and the particular suit against Dr. Christian Drosten, D-R-O-S-T-E-N, 
He patented the PCR technology specifically targeting the coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2. What is the legitimacy of this testing for determining the spread of the virus and who are many culprits for advocating it so aggressively since initially, before the United States was doing these tests, these were being done in Germany and in Europe using his PCR test. And they determined that all these people were positive. And that suddenly began to broaden the numbers, increasing exponentially, that it went from a few cases to multiple cases to millions of cases, to potentially hundreds of millions of cases, and therefore it was a serious pandemic. All of that rests upon one premise, that the PCR test that he patented has scientific legitimacy, because if for any reason it has been shown that that test is not legitimate, that it has flaws, then everything else emanating from that itself is flawed. And is it possible that the entire world has been living with the false notion of a pandemic that is not, an epidemic that is not, virus, yes, uh, serious virus, yes, but then how serious compared to the annual flu and how many people have actually died because of this virus? These are the questions that are not being asked. Everything today is everything is, did you get the vaccine? Oh, now we have to get two vaccines. Oh, now we're approaching a fourth lockdown. Oh, even wear two to three masks. Oh, we won't be able to get back to normal for at least two years. <clears throat> and now the head of Pfizer is saying, we're going to have to have multiple vaccines because of all these variants. And I'm saying the entire pandemic or so-called pandemic beginning to implode. The form is yours. Well, the short answer to the question, is this all based on a test that doesn't work, is yes. Um, the uh, PCR test, the Drosten PCR test, because he's the one who invented this, uh, is in contrast to what he claims. So therefore, what he says is a false statement of facts. Um, in contrast to what he claims, a PCR test cannot tell you anything about infections. Now, there's more detail to this, of course, but let me first point out that the, um, uh, in the Corona Investigative Committee that uh, I um, started with my colleague Viviane Fischer and two other colleagues is a separate entity from the group of lawyers uh, who are pursuing uh, claims for damages, both here in Germany and in other countries, including the United States. What we did in this Corona Investigative Committee when we founded it in, uh, on July 10th is we wanted to know, we wanted answers to the questions that our government should have given us. We should have first discussed um, how dangerous is this virus and also um, how reliable is the PCR test. In addition to that, we should have first discussed whether or not the anti-corona measures do more damage than the virus itself. Now, since we did not get any answers to these questions from our own government, we decided to do it ourselves, and that's why we founded this uh, Corona Investigative Committee in Berlin. The first question has been answered in the meantime, because even the, uh, the question as to how dangerous is this virus really, I mean, there is a virus out there, there's something causing something, but we don't know what it is. Still, the answer to this question is that even the WHO, more or less agreeing with uh, Professor John Ioannidis of um, uh, Stanford University, agrees that this virus, whatever it is, is no more dangerous than the common flu at 0.14 um, infection fatality uh, uh, rate. Uh, meaning uh, 0.14 of those people who are infected die of this virus. Now, the big question is, maybe even this figure is way too high, and that's because of the PCR test. The um, PCR test was invented by a famous and funny and very witty, intelligent guy by the name of uh, Kerry Mullis. He died in, um, I think, August or, or September of 2019. He invented the PCR test, and he got a Nobel Prize for it in the early 19th. 
90s, I believe. And over and over and over again, he kept telling people that the PCR test is great because it, 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 is, it is capable of making things visible that are invisible to the human eye. Now we're talking about the swabs. Whatever molecules you take from a person's nose or mouth are invisible to the human eye. Therefore, you need this PCR test to amplify whatever you have there. And there are several cycles of amplification that you need in order to see something. And depending on how many cycles you use, uh, you get a, an amplification of 2 to 4 to 8, 16, 32, et cetera, et cetera, until you reach several billions of amplification at uh, something around 35 cycles cutoff. They call it a, 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 a cutoff threshold. Now, the first thing you have to know, and we learned this through talking to almost 100 scientists from all over the world, including, by the way, the former vice president of Pfizer, Dr. Mike Yeadon. The first thing you have to know is that um, a PCR test cannot tell you anything about infections because it cannot distinguish live matter from dead matter. I know this is unscientific language I'm using, but what I'm trying to say is if you test positive, it doesn't mean that you uh, are infectious because, um, uh, because of the coronavirus. It can easily mean, because this test cannot distinguish live from dead matter, that the test, uh, that the positive test is a response to uh, fragments of a, uh, of, of a common cold or of the flu that your body uh, fought successfully, meaning your own immune systems fight against a common cold that you uh, survived months ago. And that's the first thing you have to know. And that's what Carrie Mullis pointed out over and over and over again, telling everyone that this is not a diagnostic tool, that you cannot use it for diagnostic purposes, and that, therefore, a PCR test cannot tell you anything about infections. The, th the second thing you have to know is that um, even um, most, I, I, I would say, um, Everyone who is to be taken seriously in the field of science agrees that any uh, amplification cycle above 24 is completely unscientific. Mike Yeadon told us that anything above uh, 35 ends up with 97% uh, false positives, probably more. Now, the tests that Drosten invented uh, were set at 45 cycles. And the same test was, uh, was uh, recommended by the WHO, uh, Tedros's WHO, as a uh, worldwide gold standard for detecting infections. Therefore, this test was the blueprint for everything else that followed. Now, if you look at this, then you realize that something must have gone wrong seriously. Because this test, if it cannot detect infections and the way it is set produces only uh, or mostly 97% or more, probably much more, false positives, then the question arises, what is this about? Uh, a group of scientists asked themselves this very same question. And then they looked, they took a closer look at the Drusden Corman paper, which was uh, published on, I believe, January 23rd, um, as a precursor uh, to this wave of worldwide testing. They took a closer look at this because this, this test was to be the worldwide gold standard for uh, the detection of infections. And they found that there are serious, very serious flaws, scientific flaws with this paper not just uh, innocent irregularities, but they ended up there with the conclusion that this looks as though this was intentionally uh, done in such a way as to produce as many false positives as possible. Now, if that is the case, the question arises, if this is not about infections, what is it about? Um, and uh, the answer to that is something that we learned through hearing a bunch of economists and other people from finance, for example, the former secretary of uh, 
the former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Catherine uh, Austin Fitz. We listened to her. And everything points in the direction of the so-called Great Reset. The um, uh, Great Reset is out there in the open. It's nothing secret. Um, and it is being pushed by people like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, who invented the um, World Economic Forum. Contrary to, to what many people believe, the World Economic Forum, or WEF, is not a governmental organization, uh, but it is a private entity, uh, which was invented by this uh, person by the name of Klaus Schwab uh, in the early 1970s, I believe, maybe in 1971. And this is the forum at which uh, the self-appointed corporate elites and the self-appointed political elites meet once a year. Uh, in uh, Davos, a uh, skiing resort in Switzerland. There are other occasions on which they also meet. Um, for example, when the uh, 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 World Monetary Fund comes together. There are other similar occasions, but this is probably the most important one. And if you look at the result of their agreement, which, is, uh, which boils down to the Great Reset, then you realize that something completely different from what they tell us in the so-called mainstream media is uh, happening. This is not about health. It's never been about health, but they're using the corona scare as a tool, as a tactic to keep us all in panic mode so that we won't see what's really going on. What's really going on is the um, destruction of the middle class, in particular of small and medium-sized businesses, um, for the benefit of large platforms like uh, um, Amazon or other um, uh, Silicon Valley platforms. Um, this is something that is, for most Germans at least, hard to understand because they're used to believing that the mainstream media uh, tell them the truth and inform them correctly about what's going on. Now, the mainstream media, of course, um, just like everywhere else in the world, uh, tell us only about how dangerous this infection is, how dangerous this disease is, and that people uh, will die if we don't mask up, if we don't social distance, if we don't have lockdowns. In the meantime, of course, if you look at the uh, alternative or uh, uh, what we call them now is uh, independent media, uh, the picture is a completely different one because uh, even uh, Professor Ioannidis of Stanford University and even some members of the WHO, even though Bill Gates has a very strong influence there, uh, have come out into the open and have said that lockdowns do not uh, change anything. On the contrary, lockdowns are extremely dangerous and they make the poor people even poorer. Uh, if you look at what's going on in the United States, if you just look at maybe, uh, for example, North Dakota and South Dakota, South Dakota didn't have a lockdown. North Dakota did. But the numbers are still the same. Viruses come and go. This happens every year, including, of course, the uh, coronavirus. Corona has always been a part of the common flu. Sometimes there's more. Sometimes there's less of a corona content, but it's always been there for the last, I think, four decades or so. So to sum this all up, um, it looks as though the anti-corona measures are wreaking havoc all over the world, destroying livelihoods, the economic livelihoods of uh, small and medium-sized businesses and the self-employed, killing people, and, uh, and, and uh, causing just huge, huge damage. Uh, one of the German clerics publicly said on television that this is worse than World War III. Um, I, and this is all done for the purpose of these so-called, the self-appointed elites, we call them the Davos clique now, uh, for them to uh, take over the medium and, and uh, small-sized businesses. And of course, to not be held responsible for what they have done, not just during the corona crisis, they're just using this to, um, I'm sorry, um, they're just using this uh, to um, uh, direct our, our attention into the wrong direction so that we don't see what's really going on. And as a result of this, 
uh, many lawyers, I shouldn't say many, because there's too few lawyers um, here in Germany and probably in the rest of the world as well, who are willing to take on these corona uh, cases. But those lawyers who were willing to um, represent their clients, small and medium-sized businesses, in order to collect damages for them, um, they have struggled to come, come up with a strategy. And then they listened to some of the sessions of our Corona committee, and they called me. And they asked me and Viviane, my friend and colleague Viviane Fischer, what are you going to do with the results, with the, uh, with the evidence that you're collecting in this uh, Corona, through, this, uh, through the hearings of the Corona committee? Are you just going to publish a book or what? We said, well, if you if you want to make use of this evidence, I will put you in touch with the uh, scientists who, who, whom we heard on the Corona Committee. We'll get you in touch with them so that they can write you expert opinions, that they can testify in court on behalf of your clients. But we said, we have a major problem in uh, Germany, in the German courts, because the German judiciary is not independent, not uh, as independent as they should be. Uh, because uh, it is quite obvious, and it, it has become very obvious to myself and my colleagues here at my firm, because we've been representing uh, small and medium-sized businesses and consumers against large fraudulent corporations like VW and Deutsche Bank for years. It is quite obvious to us that uh, the uh, lobbyists' influence doesn't end with the politicians whom they lobby, but the politicians in turn uh, exert, I shouldn't say pressure, but influence uh, through the presidents of the, of the German courts. Because these presidents of the German courts, they write personal assessments uh, each year for each and every one of the uh, judges at their courts. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that they're going to tell them, if you make a decision against VW, remember, this is about employment, uh, or if you write a decision against, um, uh, in favor of a consumer against Deutsche Bank, remember, this is an important bank for Germany, you're not ever going to get promoted again. No, it's not as simple as that. But they very clearly let these um, judges know that uh, they also have to take into consideration, for example, here in the state of Lower Saxony, which is the headquarters of VW, they also have to take into consideration that we're also talking about uh, VW being an important employer in this state. So that tells you that, um, and, and that explains to us as lawyers why there's so many really strange decisions in cases that, for example, when it comes to the diesel fraud, I think that's, that's an example that most people remember, in cases in which the American judiciary, for example, in particular, the uh, courts in uh, California have very early on come to the conclusion that this is definitely fraud, and uh, the uh, and the uh, American uh, judiciary in turn uh, actually made VW apologize in public and admit to their crimes. While in Germany, the courts were still trying to side with v uh, VW. So. I decided I'm going to get these lawyers who are working on um, claims for damages for their clients uh, because of the corona measures, the anti-corona measures, rather, that I would get them, put them in touch with uh, my friends and colleagues uh, from the Anglo-American countries, including the United States, Canada, and Australia. And that's how this whole thing started. Um, we now cooperate very closely with a group of lawyers in France, Italy, um, the United States, of course, uh, the most prominent group of lawyers is the, law the group of lawyers around CHD, Children's Health Defense, around uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, the, and uh, we're all trying to do our best to get as many decisions in courts of law explaining to the public that PCR tests uh, contrary to what uh, Professor Drosden claims, uh, cannot tell you anything about infections. And if there are no infections, then there's no pandemic. And if there's no pandemic, then those people who claim there is one are going to be held responsible. Um, there is one case. I filed a couple of cases here in Germany with my colleagues. And uh, there's one case pending before a uh, New York court which was filed by CHD on behalf of a number of children in uh, the state of New York. 
because of a ruling which said that children, in order to be able to go to school, have to take a PCR test. And only if they test negative can they go to school. Um, they challenged this rule in a New York court, and uh, they, filed, they filed a motion for a preliminary injunction in order to get fast relief. Um, and it turns out that this was a very, very successful move. Everyone who was there and heard uh, Ray Flores, the lawyer, argue this case that this is, you're going to win this. Uh, and I think even the judge uh, let us know that he's sympathetic to our cause. Now, the thing, the funny thing is, uh, right after this, uh, after this case was uh, argued in court, the state of New York issued a, uh, uh, a letter of recommendation, I forget the precise term, stating that no child can be forced to take a test before they go to school. In other words, at first glance, it looks as though the case is moot. It's not, of course, because uh, we're going to pursue this case. We're going to want, we're going to keep asking, or Ray Flores and CHD is going to keep asking for a for an official judgment because it's not moot. Uh, there is a clear danger that as soon as uh, we uh, let go of this case, they're going to come up with a new uh, rule that says the very same thing, namely children have to take a PCR tests um, and pass a PCR test uh, in order to be able to go to school. What I'm saying is there is, a, there is a, an internationally coordinated legal effort um, between German lawyers, American lawyers, Canadian lawyers, uh, uh, Italian lawyers, French lawyers, Austrian lawyers from all over the world, including Namibia, for example, uh, to attack the cornerstone of this whole, um, well, pandemic uh, is probably a correct term, which is the PCR test, because we believe that as soon as we destroy this cornerstone, this whole house of cards is going to collapse. Okay. <clears throat> it's particularly interesting to me because I did the interview, I don't know if you've seen it or not, where Dr. Kerry Mollis who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the PCR in science in 1993, said that this should not be used to make diagnosis. Yes. And only to amplify it so you actually see some particle of a virus. It doesn't tell you viral loads. It doesn't tell you infectivity. It is not specific. And therefore, mm -hmm. under no circumstance should it be used to tell a person, well, you have or do not have a positive or negative standing with this in relationship to this virus. And if you haven't seen that, I'll send you the uh, the edited version, which is shorter. It's an almost two hours long interview, but he says all this in about 18 minutes, and he really doesn't like Fauci. Even back then, in the 1980s and 90s, Fauci controlled the war on AIDS, and miserably so. I was a, an important part of that. In fact, uh, this evening, uh, we are premiering a new film from the Society for Investigative Independent Investigative Journalism that shows that at two different centers in New York, there was a successful treatment for AIDS, successful in the sense that a person would still be HIV positive, but completely healthy. There'd be no opportunistic infections or diseases, and AIDS is not a, a disease. AIDS is 30 different diseases that have already always existed, and but in the presence of HIV, it's called AIDS. In the presence without HIV, it's called pneumocystis or uh, Kaposi sarcoma or thrush, etc. In any case, uh, I was a senior research fellow at the Institute of Applied Biology and Anti-Aging Medicine, and I was creating a protocol for treating people with AIDS. I've been treating people with AIDS since 1974. 10 years mm -hmm. before the official announcement. And I was working with the leading gay physician, Dr. Stephen Kaiser, who didn't know what this was and couldn't help him with the medications, but uh, he knew I was doing things with alternative lifestyle, and I got them all well. Over 400 people I helped get back to good health, mainly by uh, natural, non-toxic, a means, intravenous vitamin C, intravenous ozone, etc. 
Mm-hmm. In any case, mm-hmm. I also had a center, which was the leading holistic center in the United States. I had all board-certified physicians and nurses, dietitians, psychologists, etc. Well, during a 15-year period, we treated 1,200 people with full-blown AIDS, all sick when they came. During that 15-year period, they all remained healthy, got their health back. None died. Not a single one of these died. By the way, we never charged a single penny to a single patient, not insurance or anything. It was free. But of all those patients at the Institute of Applied Biology, as well as where I was a research fellow, as well as at the Tri-State Healing Center, 18 people were on an advanced protocol, and on the advanced protocol, they got very high doses of vitamin C, up to 200,000 milligrams a day, for example. They were there five days a week for four hours versus the average person was there once every two weeks for about an hour. They all reversed HIV. They all reversed all diseases. And then we followed them with detailed blood chemistries from Roach Lab. And our medical evaluation team would evaluate their blood chemistries, their status, uh, on a weekly basis for 16 months, every week. And they didn't pay for these blood tests. We're about $2,000 each also. And mm-hmm. so we can say legitimately and scientifically, we cured AIDS. We also help treat AIDS so that a person was healthy, though still HIV positive. Now, why is that important? Because the person who would not acknowledge this was Anthony Fauci. The person yeah. who fought against any of this made, being made public including where nobody came to a press conference where we had a 100 of these individuals with their medical doctors and their medical records and a board of scientists. One of those and one of the people on that board was David Patterson, Senator Patterson, New York, who would later become Governor Patterson. And he said, why aren't the mainstream people looking at natural non-toxic methods? Instead, Fauci was promoting AZT, arguably the most dangerous drug ever presented to a person with AIDS. And there were very few deaths before AZT. There was just a skyrocketing of deaths after AZT. There was even a drug Bactrim that would help knock out pneumocystis, a form of mm-hmm. pneumonia in the lungs. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't advise it. And yet, had he advised it, because it worked, the number one cause of death in the first years of the AIDS epidemic would have been stopped. That was pneumocystis. And Bactrim was a drug that worked. Now, let's jump forward to today. All right. And by the way, we had press conferences, all-day conferences. Uh, I did about 50 broadcasts. I wrote a textbook with Professor Jim Feast on natural approaches days. The book didn't sell it at all. No one would review it. Nobody, no, not a single journalist out of 7,000 journalists who were invited to press conference on three separate occasions, not one showed up. You can't have 7,000 journalists, including New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, not show up, not even comment that they were invited on three occasions by one of the top PR firms in America that we hired to do this, unless there is a concerted campaign to censor this and not allow that door to be open to show, oh, gee whiz, there, Gary Knowles, uh, uh, he's curing people with AIDS or getting them healthy, and no one's died. And anyhow, and I then went after AZT, I started attacking it. And that's when they jumped in. So, you know, then you must be an AIDS denier. I said, no, I'm the only person in the world that's cured AIDS. And I have the scientific validation. By the way, that's the documentary, independently done, that none of my statements, all by independent physicians and scientists and patients and the journalists, all of whom were African-American journalists, Tony Brown, uh, the head of the Amsterdam News, or excuse me, the Amsterdam News, which was the number one African-American publication, Bill Tatum, Nobody in the mainstream media would touch it. They did. Mm -hmm. As a result, the truth came out. Now, look today. We have necessary drugs that are uh, non-toxic, less toxic than an aspirin, including ivermectin. Over Mm -hmm. 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies show it works. We have hydroxychloroquine with zinc and zithromycin. It works. And we Mm -hmm. have over 220 of those studies. We have physicians who are mainstream, pro-vaccine. They, they, they're not, they're orthodox as orthodox could be. Outstanding reputations, MD, PhDs, head of uh, epidemiology at uh, one of the divisions of, of Yale. All of them are being attacked. None of their suggestions are being taken. 
they're actually making it impossible in some countries like South Africa to get ivermectin, which has been used there for decades to fight parasitic infections. Same is true for hydroxychloroquine. You can't get hydroxychloroquine in most states in America. That's Anthony Fauci and the CDC. So one, here's where I unravel the puzzle, and I'd like you to uh, give us your insight. When you have known and proven therapies that could stop this in its tracks for the vast majority of people, and you not only don't recommend it, you condemn it, that sends up a red flag. When the American media, the same New York Times, the same CNN, NBC, and ABC, and all the others that would not come to a press conference to challenge the physicians and the patients and their medical records and their blood chemistries and their viral loads coming down, down, down to nothing or zero, then why? And yet they're the ones who are saying only get the vaccines. And if you should be infected, just stay at home until you have to go to the hospital and then go to a hospital and whatever they can do, they'll do, including the intubation. But why aren't you doing any reports of the doctors who have hundreds, some thousands of patients they've treated successfully, in some cases not one dying, why haven't you found it important to do those stories? That's gross bias on the media. That's a second flag. Third, put everything into the vaccines without these being tested on animals and doing a proper analysis over a period of years, but rushing everything through so the media promotes vaccines, get them now, we've got shortages, make sure you get yours. The poor and the sick should get them first, the oldest should get them first, and then not a single story in the mainstream media about how many people in Denmark, the Netherlands, in Gibraltar, in Spain, died in nursing homes who were the first to get the vaccines. And I have a long list of them. If I start reading the names of the people who died right after getting the vaccine, who were senior citizens over 65, I couldn't do them all in this hour. Uh So then you have only promoting one therapy that is proprietary, experimental, and you don't give any of the science showing that the 95% efficacy rate was a lie. When people went in and saw the actual statistics, that was a mathematical guess. It was not based upon actual statistics. So then they lied. That means science was lying. The vaccine makers were lying. The media was lying. Fauci was lying. The CDC was lying. The World Health Organization was lying. The White House Special Committee was lying. Everybody was lying. And you don't have to be an investigative journalist or a scientist or a physician or public health official to see this. It's there in clear view of anyone. Now show me, please, deconstruct and challenge. Now I always offer challenge. Challenge me where I'm wrong on any point I just stated. Well, um, I completely agree with your assessment. Um, We have heard a number of uh, medical experts in the meantime who in detail describe to us about ivermectin, vitamin D, zinc, et cetera, et cetera, and how there is an alternative way of treating uh, whatever this virus really is, which is effective and costs next to nothing. Of course, the big question is, why, uh, why is there this rush to get a new drug out, a vaccine out, or even three vaccines, which upon closer inspection turn out to not be vaccines at all? These are, according to the experts we talked to, these, these mRNA vaccines are really um, injections of, for, a, uh, for a genetic experiment. As you said, this has never been tried out before, not on healthy people. Um, this is an experiment. And because there are, is no um, study, it is uh, here in, in, in Europe, uh, the uh, European Committee, Commission has only given it a um, conditional admission. In the United States, it's something similar. I forget the exact term. You probably know it, but um, it doesn't. It it is not a fully admitted vaccine, and most people don't know about this. Now, if you are not fully informed about the medical treatment that you're about to receive, your uh, consent to the medical treatment is invalid, because this is called informed consent. It's one of the major results of the Nuremberg trials that. Patients cannot be 
subjected to a medical treatment without their consent, and that consent is only valid with uh, correct information. Correct information in this case includes the fact that um, this is a uh, uh, only um, ad admitted. This whatever it is is only admitted um, uh, on a conditional basis. Also, what people, what patients should should understand is that there that there no real studies have been conducted. Uh, as far as the expert who we talked to uh, tell us. One of them is Professor Huckertz. He's one of the preeminent specialists in vaccines here in Germany. And he, on our Corona Committee, warned people not to get, uh, not to allow uh, injections of this uh, experiment, of this genetic experiment, because he says only parts of the uh, pretrial studies were conducted, if at all. No animal studies, no animal tests were conducted. So what's really going on here is that uh, all of the people who are now getting these injections are the actual guinea, guinea pigs. This is a real-life study going on. And as you said, uh, those who, who should have been protected, who should have gotten the best protection, the most vulnerable part of the population, the older people in the nursing homes, in the care homes, for example, they're the ones who are now getting killed. And I'm not just saying this lightly because it's sensational or so, but uh, rather through our whistleblower tool, we got so many people from nursing homes, uh, nurses and even doctors who are trying to tell us that something is seriously wrong. With uh, We conducted interviews with some of the uh, people at the nursing homes. Uh, one of this uh, has just been one of these interviews has just been published. We spoke with this person. We actually met with this person so that we would be able to get a, a personal assessment of the credibility of this person. But they are they definitely turned out to be credible because we they let us see all the papers um, from this nursing home. Plus, one of them obviously um, did some uh, uh, secret filming. So there is footage out now. And this footage, we, we conducted the interview and published it. Uh, then uh, several journalists of, from the mainstream media uh, tried to interview the uh, people who run this nursing home, and they lied about it. They said, no, there's no uh, members of the German army were present. No, we didn't force anyone. Uh, this is all... Uh, this is this is all with informed consent. None of the patients' uh, 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 vaccinations were not mandatory there. We didn't force it upon anyone. Turns out that's all lie, because the uh, illicitly filmed footage uh, was sent by them to people from the CHD, from Children's Health Defense in the United States. I don't know if they sent it to the United States or to the uh, European office, and. Uh, that was then combined with our interview, and it turns out that everything the whistleblower tells us is true. There were soldiers there in their fatigues, in their army fatigues. And of course, if you vaccinate older people in a nursing home, in this, in this case, uh, 31 people were, well, received the shots. It's not vaccinations, received the shots. Uh, all of them suffered from dementia. But other than that, they were in fairly good shape. One of them is an opera singer who a day before uh, he got the injection was still singing, uh, singing Aries. And he was also a good runner. He was in his mid seventies or so, but he outran some of the 30 something year old uh, uh, nurses. Within days after getting, he was, he and everyone else uh, tested negative uh, shortly before the uh, injections. Within days after the injection, actually within three weeks after the injection, out of 31 people who received the injections, eight had died, including the opera singer. Uh, 11 more are suffering serious adverse effects. We don't know the outcome of this yet, but we're receiving the same kinds of comments from other whistleblowers, from other nursing homes, both in this country, but also in other countries. You just mentioned uh, Gibraltar. Um, practically, this whole thing is happening in the very same way all over the world. It looks and has the feel of euthanasia. And uh, we're trying to get the uh, DA's offices and some of the, that closer, uh, close to some of the nursing homes uh, to uh, react to this. 
Thus far, they haven't done anything. Rather, we have a letter from another whistleblower, a pathologist who, who also asked the, uh, I think, in Stuttgart, the DA in Stuttgart, the DA's, DA's office in Stuttgart, to start an investigation of what's going on because they're in one of the nursing homes. I think 13 people died after the injections. Now, what the uh, uh, district attorney wrote back in response is, in essence, well, the, the mere fact that people die after an injection doesn't mean that they died because of the injection. And unless doctors uh, give us a warning sign, we're not going to start any, um, any uh, inspection, any closer inspection of what's going on. So what this is, in essence, is uh, unless the murderer comes to us and explains to us what he did, we are not going to start anything. We're just going to sit by and, and watch as more people die. I know this sounds crazy, but this is what's ha what's actually happening. However, at the same time, this is a red line that even those people who are still in line with the government and who are willing to wear masks because not because they believe in this, but rather because they don't want to get in trouble. Even these people hearing and seeing uh, on uh, in the alternative media, seeing what's going on here are finally beginning to ask questions. And that's why we believe the other side is uh, uh, is ramping up the uh, the whole thing and trying to um, exert more and more pressure, which in turn makes even more people to ask what is really going on. And even more people are beginning to understand this is not about health. This is about something completely different. Somebody is pushing a completely different agenda. Well, and the only thing that comes into play as an answer to this question is it's the uh, Great Reset and it's uh, a bunch of uh, more or less crazy self-appointed um, uh, corporate and political elites trying to gain control over us so that we will not hold them responsible for what they haven't just done during the corona crisis, but for the past 20 years. An important example is the uh, so-called uh, Cum-X scandal. What you're telling us is that this could, in time, if properly and honestly evaluated by independent journalists and scientists and public health officials, this could amount to medical genocide. Would you agree or disagree with that? Absolutely. That's what it is. Okay. We're out of time. Sorry, but very important information you've shared with us. I would like to invite you back because what you didn't have a chance to talk about today was the impact it's had on you and how they're going after everyone who represents a threat, whether it's a journalist or a physician or a scientist or a barrister or a lawyer. So that will be a, a continuation of this discussion. Thank you very much for being with us today, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Dr. Reiner Fulmich, and he is, uh, he is the attorney leading attorneys all over the world to begin to go after this issue. I'm Gary Nall. And one of those times when I'm really sorry we're out of time, I would have enjoyed hearing more from him. But that'll be continued. Have a nice day.